Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, joined by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. You can get the Talking Tide podcast anywhere you prefer to get them, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else. We are also live on YouTube and Facebook, so give us a like and a subscribe in those locales, whether you're listening or watching. And of course, our Twitter feed is talking underscore tide. Give us a follow there. You'll get quick links to all of our podcasts right there. I want to thank Peter Brook, Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, our primary sponsor, uh, Superfood over there. And Travis is going to tell us a little bit more about Peter Brook later on in the program. But Travis, we dive right into a look at this 2024 Alabama football schedule unveiled kind of NFL style by the SEC with a big reveal show uh, this uh, this evening, just a few hours past as we record here on a Wednesday night and came out pretty tough for the Crimson Tide. No question about it. Uh, quickly to run this down, road games at LSU, at Tennessee, at Oklahoma, at Vanderbilt, and then four at home against Georgia, Auburn, Missouri, and South Carolina. You throw that bunch in, Travis, with a trip to Camp Randall uh, to take on a Wisconsin squad, and uh, which is sometimes outstanding. I know last year Wisconsin didn't have a great year by any means, but you never know what you're going to get from them. Uh, it's uh, it's as tough a slate. As, as I can remember in a long time, and that's saying something. Yeah, it may not be a nine-game conference schedule in 2024, but with Georgia headed to Tuscaloosa and making that trip to Wisconsin, Luke Fickle now in that spot up there, moving from Cincinnati to uh, Whiskey. So you figure in a couple of seasons they ought to be uh, rounding into form under Luke, but absolutely. Uh, but really when you look around the league, I thought that, I thought the league did the best it could in, 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 in the way of competitive balance. I think some people will look at maybe some SEC schedules for the likes of LSU and feel like, ah, maybe LSU got off a little light there. Uh, but, you know, LSU non-con in 2024 has USC and UCLA that season. So they've kind of answered that challenge from that perspective. But just some oddities to this stuff, too, because – now think about the last time Alabama didn't play Mississippi State in football, um, mm-hmm. Ole Miss. You know, I think both the Alabama schools, Alabama and Auburn, won't play Ole Miss or Mississippi State in 2024. Yeah, definitely an anomaly there. And, and, and some of this was pretty predictable, right? I mean, we knew going in that every team in the league was going to catch either Texas or Oklahoma. That certainly made sense. It made sense that Alabama would get OU because they're coming off a two-year home-and-home home with Texas. Uh, you know, it, it certainly made sense that Texas and Texas A&M were going to get together as quickly as possible. They made that rivalry happen here in this little one-year window uh, for sure. So, you know, and, and of course, Alabama's traditional rivals, Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, all intact. It'll be two of those on the road, one at home for the Crimson Tide. So you know, a lot of this made sense. Um, but, uh, boy, the that Georgia game, definitely the one that stands out here for, for, uh, for Alabama fans. That's, that, that turns this schedule up about three notches on the volume for sure. 
and uh, it's going to be it's going to be highly anticipated. Obviously, it's a little far down the road. Uh, I wrote a, a column this evening on it. Uh, you know, it's it's a little too early to say just how tough this schedule is or that schedule is because we don't know how good this team or that team's going to be in 2024. Heck, it's 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 tough to forecast 23 for that matter uh, here in the summertime. But that being said, you're talking about a lot of blue blood helmet logo value right here on this schedule. And, and you can presume just by looking at some of these schools from top to bottom uh, that they're going to be some tough customers on this schedule for sure. Starting with Georgia, who you would think even two years down the road is, is not going to be showing – you wouldn't think they'd be showing many signs of slowing down under Kirby Smart. No, and, you know, it will have been a while since Georgia has visited Tuscaloosa with a capacity crowd in play because in 2020, when Georgia made the trip to Tuscaloosa, of course, you know, that was the COVID season. So uh, last time Georgia won a game uh, in the regular season in this series was in Tuscaloosa in 2007, that overtime game. There at Bryant Denny Stadium, Matthew Stafford in the corner over there. I think we were both there that night. Remember the shower of flask and whiskey bottles yeah. and everything else that came down yeah. when celebrating Georgia Bulldogs over there in that southeast corner of Bryant Denny. So uh, it, it, it's you're right. It's going to be much anticipated, and you're also right. It's really tough to try to project even to 2024, and that was the case in previous eras. But now with the transfer portal and you're trying right. to project teams uh, even next season uh, in 2024, that becomes even more difficult to uh, pull off. SEC didn't do Georgia any favors either, right? No. They're coming to Alabama. That's no fun. They And they hung on to their traditionals, right? They're still playing Auburn. They still catch Florida. They still catch Tennessee. So Kirby Smart probably not thrilled this evening either over the news. Yeah, they'll uh, – Georgia will finally go to Texas, too, I guess. You know, I, we still haven't seen Georgia go to Texas A&M since expansion right. uh, the last time around in 2012. But uh, the dogs will visit Austin in addition to Tuscaloosa. So, you know, you kind of anticipated this. You're not bringing in Texas and Oklahoma to send them to Columbia, Missouri, and Columbia, South Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, that obviously helps the league from that perspective, too. But these are the premier matchups that you envisioned, and I'm sure ESPN had in mind when all this went down and they stroked that check previously. You know, you look at this situation with the – obviously this is not what Greg Sankey wanted or envisioned. He was clear enough going into SEC meetings in Destin that, that he wanted, quote, we want to land the plane, I think were his exact words or close to it. Let's not circle the airport anymore on this scheduling thing. Well, that's exactly what happened. Uh, so this is definitely not what he wanted. I don't think there's any question he wants to see an end to this one-off schedule making as quickly as possible. What A year from now, when all this comes back around to these coaches and ADs and administrators to, to deal with again, uh, what do you see going forward, Travis? Do you... Do you would you see a nine-game schedule in place by 2025, or do you think it might be more likely that these schools are going to come back to the table next year and be so split that they just end up doing this one-off all over again? It's a, a great question, and it might be, I guess you could say, a $100 million plus dollar question based on 
uh, you know, what comes the SEC's way for an additional league game per member school uh, from a television perspective. Um, you know, there's still the same issues in play right now as there's always been. And I've talked about it from the start where so much of the focus was on league scheduling. You know, so many teams like Alabama had already taken the initiative from a non-conference perspective to schedule out and not schedule as many neutrals. Um, you know, going home and homes. Uh, if, if Alabama was still in the business largely of just playing neutral sites every year, it might be one thing. Uh, but either way, you're losing a home game. So it's, it's somewhere along the line here. And so that's what becomes the, the big question uh, in terms of trying to get this done with a nine-game SEC schedule. Uh, I think it'll eventually come down to getting the money right, as it typically does. And once they're able to do that, um, I, I think it's inevitable You know, I, I, at some point. I, I can't tell you if it'll be for 2025 or uh, or beyond, uh, but that that's just – what about you? What do you think? Sooner or later, they'll get to that. Yeah, I think it's also an interesting interesting dynamic for Greg Byrne. And, and Nick Saban alluded to this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, those those two Power Five non-cons they've got lined up from here to as far as the eye can see on the future schedules, as soon yeah. as they hit nine games a year in the SEC, you're going to see uh, – I think Greg Byrne's going to be diving into those contracts and looking for those out clauses, at least for a couple of those games here and there, and peel back the schedule a little mm -hmm. bit because, you know, as Saban said, when they constructed that non-conference scheduling uh, so far ahead – uh, with with two power fives, in some cases, premier power fives on the schedule. They were doing it off an eight-game schedule. Now, certainly, you could have anticipated, you know, they've signed a couple of these non-conference deals down the road knowing that at Texas and OU were coming in and right. knowing that nine is the number on the wall, right? That's the writing on the wall. Nevertheless, I think it's at uh, at some point, when and if they go to nine games in conference play, uh, we'll we'll see Alabama uh, maybe not cancel some, maybe cancel one here and there, maybe defer one, right? Put it off, change it around, juggle things however they got to juggle them uh, to where they're not playing a schedule like we're looking at right now, plus two not two major non cons instead of one. They've got USF at home in twenty twenty four. Of course, they're traveling to USF in a in an odd uh, non-conference, non-Power Five road game for Alabama coming up this fall. I think that USF contract is a two for one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's gonna it's gonna take some some juggling with the, the non-conference schedule contracts coming up if they go to nine. They are, and um, you know, you're right. 2024. Very interesting because you make a road trip to Madison, Wisconsin, uh, I think in week three. So um, how that's yep. going to work from a scheduling perspective with the SEC games, uh, you go to Norman, um, you know, you, you talked about sort of how the schedule, in some ways it'll traditionally flip from 2023 to 2024 like we're accustomed to. You'll go to Baton Rouge, um, you'll go to Knoxville, you know, that would have been the case status quo. So there are some things that are going to remain in play from a rotational perspective year in to year out, it appears. Uh, but absolutely the math, 
you know, I, if you have to juggle it in future schedules, um, you got to make sure you got those seven home games, right? Uh, if you're going four on the road, uh, at least seven. You'd like to have eight most years. Uh, but if you're doing the non-cons with the home and aways, uh, you know, you're going to have those years like the one coming up where you're more or less seven and five. Yeah, I think Oklahoma got stuck with three, five, and one on its schedule because they're getting te- they're catching Texas on a neutral site, and then I think beyond that for twenty twenty four they got three at home and five on the road. Definitely, probably not what. How's that for a birthday present coming in? Yeah, right? or three. I, Florida, excuse me, excuse me. Three at home and four on the road and one and, and one neutral. Yeah, Florida's Florida and Georgia in that same situation, right? Playing in Jacksonville, yeah. and then man, you look at Florida's non con in twenty twenty four. Miami, Central Florida, and um, and Florida State. <laughs> so, boy, Billy Napier right now. All the guy, sunshine. He, oh, God. He can't catch a break. <laughs> I will say this for Georgia. You know, so much made about the 2023 schedule, and, and part of that has to do with Oklahoma, uh, that game not being able to, to be played, that series, the way it was originally intended with Oklahoma – coming into the SEC, but, you know, you add on top of Georgia's um, SEC schedule in 2024, I think Clemson comes back on, and, and maybe Clemson has started the the descent uh, in some ways under Dabo Sweeney, but the expectation is going to be for that to be a pretty big matchup once again, too. No question about it. The Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Sports Network here with you on a, a midweeker. Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, our fine sponsor. Travis, tell them more about him. Peterbrook Chocolatier out there, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. The secret weapon I've always said with Peterbrook Chocolatier in Tuscaloosa is that outstanding gelato, the Italian ice cream, as it were, at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Be sure to get by there and check out the wide assortment of outstanding flavors available to you. Also have Father's Day coming up, and you got the U.S. Open Golf Tournament. I can't think of much else I'd rather do good bread as a dad, especially an aging dad, than to just park it on the couch and watch the U.S. Open and enjoy those dark chocolate almonds from Peterbrook Chocolatier. That sounds like a great way to do Father's Day to me. You can check it out at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard, North. You log, Travis logs some pretty serious hours on that pro golf watching, don't you? Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. I, and, I, and I like this week because, you know, they're out in L.A. for this U.S. Open. So you're going to have, you know, golf into the night. You know? Right. And it'll, it'll start about 8.30 Central pretty much, you know. You can kind of count on it. And then from 8.30 in the morning until – you know, bedtime almost. We should have uh, a lot of golf. I love it. Absolutely. My grandfather watched golf constantly on the television. <laughs> he was an avid golfer. He loved it. You couldn't get him off the recliner oh, when, a, when yes. a tournament was on. My dad watched it some. I've never been a huge golf fan and love certainly it. not much of a fan of, of golf on TV. I, I will, uh, I, I do like flipping on those summertime baseball games, though. I'm a baseball yeah. guy in the summer. Uh, I'm more but, of an uh, in-person baseball person, yeah. Um, but I love the pro golf on the cable. Love it. Yeah. Love it. All right. A uh, couple topics before we get out of here, here on the Talking Tide podcast, we will hit uh, the latest in baseball 
and basketball. And we'll take a quick deep in that two deep tumbler before we get out of here. First, Travis, the Alabama baseball team wraps up. Uh, they got knocked out of super regional play, swept by Wake Forest. Two games to none. A tight, tight game one that was looked like it might be Alabama's for the taking at a certain point. And uh, game two, anything but tight, I guess, <laughs> giving up, I think, 22 runs to uh, Wake Forest, uh, which uh, certainly in that second game looked like the juggernaut it's supposed to be. Yeah, really did. Not the biggest ballpark up there in North Carolina. I think we can all agree on that, but bombs are bombs. And, you know, you thought with McNary pushing up into that number two spot and uh, kind of a season on the line situation, that would be the way to go. So I didn't have a problem with that move by Jason Jackson, but give Wake Forest a lot of credit. Number one overall seed proved it, uh, especially in that game two. Game one was uh, somewhat controversial had some questionable calls behind the dish there and also on a check swing of note in that game one but uh, a lot of credit to again Jason Jackson and the Alabama baseball team taking Alabama fans on a ride they never would have imagined in late April after that LSU series and uh, to make it to the final 16 teams in the country and uh, probably a team that if we're we're talking about where it should finish. And when you consider a top 25, probably somewhere around 12 or so, uh, hell of a run for Alabama baseball. And here we go with the Rob Vaughn era coming in from Maryland as the new skip. And uh, for now, it looks like they're keeping Jason Jackson around. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think I, I think I saw where Vaughn actually sat in on Jackson's exit interviews with the, with the players and, was impressed and and uh, decided uh, decided Jackson needed to to stick around. So uh, good for Jackson, by the way, with the job he did. Certainly, I think that's deserved uh, for yeah. him to be uh, at least retained. A- absolutely. So yeah, heck of a way to finish for Alabama baseball, reaching that super regional round. Uh, some good young talent. The Shelton kid looks like he's going to be uh, a fine player for if Alabama. They can keep for- him. Yeah. A couple. Yeah. Yeah. That's a factor too now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a real that one portal. with Colby Shelton. Yeah. So no doubt that bears about it. watching. Uh, that, that might be a tough one for Alabama. Left-handed power, as we know, at any level is heavily coveted. And uh, coming off a season like Shelton had, uh, he, he's going to have plenty of opportunities if that's what he chooses to do. Alabama basketball really quickly, Travis. Looks like they're going to be picking up Grant Nelson from North Dakota State, a 6'11 big man, averaged 18-9 for NDSU last season. Of course, Nate Oates looking to uh, fill the front court a little bit with the loss of Charles Bediaco to the NBA draft. Uh, Grant Nelson, a big guy, but definitely a very different player than Bediaco. Uh, more of an offensive-oriented guy, whereas Betty Aco was primarily a defender. Uh, Nelson said to be a little bit more of a Tony Kukoc type, I guess, Travis, kind of a stretch four. Uh, but stretch four, five, whatever you want to call it, Nate Oates needed to bring in a big guy, and, and uh, it looks like this could be it. Yeah, nearly a double-double last season at North Dakota State. Fun guy to watch on the basketball court. He can run the floor at 6'11", can finish with authority on the break, can shoot the three. 
not a guy who's going to be a volume shooter from out there, but you're going to have to respect his shot. Uh, as you said, not necessarily a big time rim defender. Um, but you know, you expect Nick Pringle to be able to give you some of that as well. Uh, I think they've got room for at least one more big, so it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, when you, when you think about this guy, Nelson, um, just, uh, you, you watch his highlights and, and his stuff from last season, especially, um, a lot of attributes that translate nicely into the style of play that Nate likes to employ. Yeah, Oates probably not done in the portal, as you alluded to. I think there's a kid from Creighton that's going to be taking a visit to Alabama soon, a bigger kid. So uh, we'll see what happens there. All right, before we get out of here on the Talking Tide podcast, Travis, without further ado, we're going to take a couple spins in this two-deep tumbler and see who comes out. The tumbler. Giving it a turn. And uh, one and wins. One and wins. Step right up. See who pops out I here. Get you a carny voice for that thing. I got him. I got him falling all over. They're the place. throwing them at you. Yeah, we'll go with uh, we'll go with two instead of one in this edition of uh, the Talking Tide podcast. All right, Travis, we're starting here with uh, number fifty-two coming out of that two deep tumbler. That would be Tyler Booker, the outstanding young interior offensive lineman. And number 91, Jaheim Otis. So, couple interesting pair there coming out of the tumbler. Interior. Uh, as, interior. Yeah, yeah. Interior linemen, one on each side of the ball. Both freshmen last year. Both looked good last year. Looked like, frankly, uh, cornerstone-type linemen for this program going forward. Let's start with Booker. What did you make of – the season he had last year, and and even more than that, what did you make of that curious rotation where we would see him kind of pop in and out at left guard, at right guard at various times, early in games, not just late in games, kind of unusual uh, the way that worked out. Yeah, it was like old school uh, platoon guards, you know, back in the old messenger guards, you know, where the the coaches would send in the play via offensive guards that would check in and out Boy, that goes back about 60 years or so. Um, I thought he was really encouraging. You know, he is a guy that relishes in the physical aspect of it. Um, I think he's a big reason. One of the big reasons why they feel comfortable taking the direction they're taking offensively Uh, between him and Darian Dahlcourt, Seth McLaughlin, you think about the interior trio, of what they bring back uh, should be a real strength for that offense. Uh, I think he's far from a finished product. You know, you watch him even in the A-Day scrimmage. There's some things maybe from a communication perspective that they're still trying to get down uh, when it comes to blitzes and different looks that they get from time to time. You know, the pick that Milrow threw from the end zone in the A-Day game that Christian Story picked off, now, that mm-hmm. was achieved in large part by the Alabama defense from a pressure in which Justin Aboigby kind of lined up between uh, J.C. Latham and Booker, and he did a nice job of what he wanted to do on the play. He occupied Booker and Latham. Well, in the process, Malachi Moore is creeping from the field, and he takes a loop inside, mm-hmm. and with the guard and the tackle both taking Justin Aboigby, 
Malachi Moore's got a free run. He timed it up really nicely at the quarterback. And it wasn't a five-man pressure. It was a four-man pressure. But the A, B gaps were left wide open. So there are still some things like that that, um, you know, I think they can clean up as an offensive line. Uh, but absolutely, man, you want to get behind your pads and, and run the football. Uh, Tyler Booker's a good guy to start with. Jaheim Otis, of course, the young nose guard who played a lot of football for Alabama last season, looked good doing it. Looks like a guy who can absolutely occupy to play that scheme where he can um, stone a double team and, and help the linebackers make more plays around the line of scrimmage instead of catching blocks um, and making them further downfield. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on uh, what he showed as a freshman last year? Yeah, it was very encouraging. I mean, his weight loss has been well-documented, and it seems like it's just continued. I think he's under 340 now. You know, as a guy that was, what, four-plus uh, at the time he signed with Alabama a year and a half or so ago. So he can be that guy for sure. And as you said, if you want him to take on blocks, be kind of a, a block defender in a lot of ways, he's capable of that. I think they need him to become more of a playmaker, though. You know, like to see him get his tackles for loss north of five at least this season, maybe closer to 10. Can he give you some interior pass rush? Um, those are some of the things that represent, to me anyway, Chase, the next step in his growth. Because, boy, just in terms of the basics of that position, I think he's going to be absolutely fine. And do they keep him on third on on the field on third down at all? That that's something yeah. you watch for too. Typically, a guy like him comes straight off the field uh, on third and long. So, you know, if he doesn't see any action uh, on third down, that's not necessarily an indictment. Uh, no, but 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 if you do see the coaching staff at least give him a shot here and there on third down, and he's able to do something with it, not necessarily making sacks, but at least shrinking the pocket, maybe making it a little easier for somebody else to make a play. That's a positive sign you want to want to see out of a young defensive tackle too. No doubt. And I think, you know, when it comes to just dime rabbits, uh, you know, a guy like Justin Aboigby is, is someone I would think that would probably be inside for sure in those situations, but absolutely would love it if, if he just pushes the pocket, you know, and is disruptive in that way. You know, that's a good thing for that defense because I think they're still going to be edge-oriented, obviously, with Braswell and Turner and, and what they can get out of those guys. Um, and, and I look for their inside linebackers to be more of a factor in the blitz moving forward. Um, you know, I think they've got guys that are capable of that. Jod Campbell, um, Justin Jefferson, uh, Marshall, Deontay Lawson. Uh, I think with Kevin Steele coming in, we saw some of this in the 8A game. They weren't shy about bringing two linebackers straight up the A-gap. Right. A good bit in the spring game. So I don't think they were doing that just to give the offense a look. That may have been part of it, but I think it spoke to we need to be better in this area too. Yeah, if the offensive linemen were told no blitzing on A-day, they were in for a surprise, <laughs> weren't they? I mean, they weren't, they weren't bringing cross dogs. They were just, they would bring both up. They bring one right behind the other up the same A-gap, yeah. you know, and <laughs> and uh, it was good practices for both sides. 
It's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. I want to thank our listeners and viewers. Be sure to catch us next time for Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, and we'll catch you next time right here on Talking Tide.